Hi, my beautiful people. This is Spill With Me, Jenny D. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited. I've been wanting to do this for so long. I'm giving you a real big hug right now. I don't know if you can feel it, but I'm giving you this big hug because I feel like everybody needs a hug or a, hey, you're doing great or you look nice or just compliment each other. I mean, see, I felt like I needed to start this because I've been running into so many people that just want to talk about their life experiences, the relationships or like any story they needed to share. This could be something magical or something they wanted to share, but they're afraid of what others would think, me included. Or if you're hurting inside or have a funny story about life lessons you'd like to talk about, I would love for you to reach out. This could be the worst or your best times. Listen, I have some good topics. We're going to have a lot of fun because I believe the best medicine is to talk about it because someone else is dealing with the same shit. Hi, my beautiful people. I have the honor to talk to Matt. And Matt and I were talking off camera about how May is considered Mental Health Awareness Month, but we both say it should be every month, that we should be talking about it, we should be aware in how we can help each other out. So Matt's going to tell a story about mental illness. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, as we were talking kind of off courting, a lot of people don't want to talk about this. Quite the opposite. I find uh, actually some healing in my own story by talking about this. But yeah, I mean, I was, uh, so I'm 40 years old now. I was 18 years old when I was officially diagnosed as uh, living with bipolar disorder. Okay. Um, Probably... I'd say anywhere from 18 to 24 months before that is when I had started having symptoms. Um, unfortunately, mine were, were pretty uh, eye-raising in the sense that I was a senior in high school. I was dating the girl that I wanted to date for a long time. I had already been accepted to college um, right. where I wanted to go to Penn State. Um, so there was nothing that was nothing. triggering. My, my or... soccer team, I was a senior on the team. We were in the state playoffs for the first time in the school's history. And so I'll, for someone looking at you, they're thinking, this guy's got it all. Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. how were you feeling? Yeah, I was uh, constantly having thoughts about suicide, which was just really know what to... Right. It's not that yeah. you can really explain. It's just something in your head. Yeah, I mean, in in the, in the field, they call it suicidal ideation, and that's what I was doing. It was basically every situation I found myself in, I was looking for ways to take my own life. And again, everything was fine. And right. So at, at, at some point early on in my senior year, I, sp- I did speak up to my mom, and I said, hey, like I don't know how to explain this. But, like, I'm thinking about hurting myself, and that certainly raises red flags. I mean, she said immediately, you know, we need to get you in to see somebody. And then I had an AP English teacher who was, like, the nicest woman in the world that, you know, sometimes we would just talk about whatever. And I brought it up with her as well, and I assured her I had already spoken to my mom. So, yeah, I ended up uh, senior year. Sometime that fall, I ended up down at Webster Hall on Pitt's campus. I remember I took an elevator up some number of floors, and I went and saw a psychologist for the first time ever. You know, he doesn't know me from anybody else, and his first question to me is, 
you know, what are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about today? And I said, honestly, I'm thinking about jumping out of your window. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, fortunately, you know, in some regards, like... So I, I was that very, was always on your mind. It, it just, yeah, it just became this thing where I could not stop. I mean, I'm thinking I, about it. I'd be in a place, you know, not much different than this room here, and right. I'd be able to think about ways. And, and then, you know, it turns out this happened years later, but it's probably been prevalent for some time. But I was also... You know, as an adult, I've been diagnosed as obsessive compulsive, but it's mainly the O um, where I obsess about things. So let's say, you know, the bipolar has me feeling that I'm going to think about suicidal thoughts. Well, the obsessive part means I'm not going to stop thinking about them. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things that I think sometimes, you know, people, people assume that, you know, if somebody takes their life it's because it's kind of an easy way out um the truth is is they're probably trying to get away from thoughts that they just can't control right it's in Um, your head your your thoughts are telling you these things and i mean i i did get to the point i um i was on and off medications after the psychologist appointment um were you able to go to college yeah, so, well, yeah, it was a little interrupted. So I went to college um, one night. I'm at the Penn State, and I'm standing at a bus stop waiting to take the bus back to back to my dorm, basically. And right. all I was thinking about was stepping out in front of the bus. Oh, no. And uh, fortunately, I guess for me, my this was my freshman year. Um, my brother was a junior at the time up at Penn State, so I... Went on to campus through talking to some of his friends and found him, fortunately, and he drove me back. He drove me back home to Penn Hills. I um, ended up going to the hospital, and I went and did an inpatient stay for, I don't know, five, six days or something, and they basically switched my medications and said, obviously, these ones aren't working. We're going to try you on this. Right. Now, did they diagnose you? They had yeah. not at this point. No, They're they just were, saying they, depression. It was, it was depression. Yeah, okay. general, general depression, I believe, at that point. Um, so I ended up back at school, finally connected with a psychologist uh, right off campus, but you know, somewhere I was able to drive myself. And uh, I go into this, you know, again, another doctor. And, right. You're repeating exactly. Yeah. And uh, the doctor asked me to lay down on the couch. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you see those in movies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And unfortunately, this was much like one of those movies where uh, the doctor said, well, we're going to we're going to start by analyzing some of your dreams. And am I allowed to swear on this thing? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think my response was something along the lines of the fuck we are. And I got up and left. And oh, I was you're like, kidding. I, I can't like, this isn't, this isn't what I need. I didn't know what I needed, but that wasn't what I needed. Yeah. That um, was, that, that is. Yeah. It was, and it was like, this was the first time I had ever met this person. I don't right. know. So I, I went back to dreams. school yeah. and, uh, I went to, the campus, you know, health services and, you know, made an appointment and sat there and, um, they finally, you know, got me in and I started telling them all this stuff. Did it take stuff. a while to get in there? Well, it, it was like an evaluation, I guess, because that's when they told me, oh, it's going to take four months to see somebody. Oh, uh, I see. This is what I don't understand. Yeah. This is going on. And I mean, this would have been in 
2000 that this happened. And I think it's even worse these days. But, uh, yeah, so at that point, I just gave up. I went back to my dorm room. I took a lot of pills and started driving home thinking I was going to pass out at the wheel. Um, So, yes, I didn't really have much regard for what could have happened to somebody else. It was more I just wanted to end things. Yeah. Lo and behold, I drove three hours and pulled into my house and walked in the house, and my parents are both like, what are you doing here? And I explained to them that there was a note sitting on the front seat of the car that they could read, and it would tell them everything, and I just believe I just cried and cried and cried and then an ambulance had to come um, had to go back to the hospital this time it was kind of I guess involuntary it was yeah I I remember I went in and they uh, gave me charcoal to drink because I had to vomit everything in my system right Um, then they put me in restraints oh my gosh still at this point not wanting to be alive I got out of the restraints I tried to take a literally a plastic knife to my hand that didn't go so well it hurt like hell and oh, didn't really accomplish this is all much. happening in the hospital this was in the hospital i took a pillowcase off a pillow threw it at my nurse's face and told her you know you're not really doing your part to keep me alive here then they put me in more restraints oh. um and yeah at some point i was just like i give up i'm not supposed to die i guess so I, then I started, I guess, working with the, the doctors, and this was a little bit longer of a stay. But that's the point where they they did diagnose me as bipolar. I dropped out of school for that spring semester. Okay, so this was when you were like 19? I was, yeah, I was actually, I, I had turned 18 right before I left for school, so I was I was you still were 18. Young. You were yeah, no. Yeah, but I, uh, so I dropped out and... So what did they do for bipolar? Did they give you medicine? Yeah, I mean, I've been on, geez, for most of my life, I've been on a mood stabilizer. Matt, can you explain to our listeners what bipolar really means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, bipolar is the idea that you can go from, you know, again, what might just seem like general depression where you're just kind of down and you can't find happiness in things. Right. To experiencing mania where your thoughts are just I mean I've I've described it this way my thoughts will just race and I I can't even focus enough on one of them I mean there's been times where I've stayed awake all night I've you know emailed like presidents of companies or authors or you know people at like 3 a.m. because that to me seemed to make sense at that time was like like I had this I have this idea in my head and I need to sell, tell somebody important and right. do it right now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, they'll say, you know, we'll go do shopping sprees and they'll spend all this money and this and that. It's not really been like that for me as much as it is just when I've been in mania, my thoughts just continue to race and race and race. And I just can't, I can't focus. So you wanted answers. Like you were waiting oh, yeah. for someone to give you answers. Like, yeah. what is wrong with me? Why am I having these thoughts? Why am I going through this? So you're looking for answers. Yeah. I mean, I, I was looking for, for something. Like I said, when I kind of caved, if you will, and said like, okay, I'm supposed to be alive here. I mean, I was considering myself at that time a pretty religious person. And I'm like, why am I going through this? And yeah, I mean, I believe God had kept me alive because I know full well what I did. I shouldn't be here. Um, 
but I, I am here, and that's where kind of, you know, yes, obviously you that was some time ago, but now my life is really focused around advocacy. Fortunately, I haven't been, I've only once in my life, that one time in the spring of 2020, uh, not 2020, 2000, was the one time that I was hospitalized involuntarily. Every time I've been hospitalized since then, uh, which has happened, but it's all been voluntary. It's been my decision. It's been one of those things where maybe I feel like my meds aren't working as much and I know the safest place for me to be is in the hospital where they can kind of control things. Okay, so you went from being diagnosed with bipolar and you were also taking depression pills as well? Yeah, I mean, they it, it's a combination. There's mood stabilizers that they give you. There's antidepressants and then there's um, SSRIs, which can't for the life of me remember but well, basically it's a OCD? Really, like what do you do for OCD at this point I think the medication that I'm on for mood stabilizer is also one that has been found to be effective for OCD so yeah I mean I in 2019 the medication that they put me on after that second hospitalization it basically became ineffective in my body and wasn't working anymore right. so I went I went inpatient again. and Do you believe that sometimes there's too many... Like, sometimes they say the medication could have, like, a reverse. You feel even more depressed. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, it's it's scary because... You, you don't know, know how you're... There are medications that, like, I immediately... Yeah, I mean, there's medications that put me in the hospital before where I went on them, and it was... Yeah, unfortunately, some of these medications, they come with... Uh, possible side effect of suicidal thoughts and I definitely had that with one and that's not what you need no I mean I took it probably for a solid month okay and then immediately went off of it you know knowing what I knew at that point in my life it was like I need to get into the hospital where they can wean me off I'm not just gonna stop you know cold turkey and then I'll get on something else so I did but yeah, I mean, if you list the common medicines that are out there, chances are I've probably been on half to two thirds of them. Do you um, think the medication was helping, or talking to somebody was helping, or what, yeah, what do you think is really? The- I think the medication's important. I mean, one of the things that I talk about when I give this talk through NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, it's called in our own voice. So it's giving people a chance to hear somebody that lives with a mental illness speak on it say is like yeah for me medication is necessary um i i don't even want to know or think about how many pills i will take by the time that i die someday uh because these are chronic conditions and i'm going to live with them until i die i think right now i take probably about six pills a day to control everything. everything everything specifically related to mental health at least so you're finally at that point. So when you were first young in college or, you know, going through that, they were giving you different things here and there through the years. So when was that point where you were like, okay, this, these are the ones that work? Yeah. So, I mean, after I, so I, I, I went back to college actually that fall. So I, I only missed like a semester. Um, I went back that fall. I finished on time because I went and spent a summer, uh, stayed up at Penn State for a summer 
Um, so I graduated in four years. Great. And then, uh, my wife, who I met at school, were both teachers. So we went and moved out of state to get teaching jobs. And honestly, we were out of state for five years before we came home because our oldest child had just turned one and we just realized we couldn't just do it on our own you need some help yeah yeah and we're both from this area she went to peter's like i said i'm from penn hills so we ended up back here so the five years i was in virginia and probably about the first four back in pa i was not actually seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist oh really Um, yeah because whenever i left college like things were good and i basically just had my pcp for the next nine years, manage my medications. Right, so, and maybe it's because you know you had to, your girlfriend. You did? Did you marry her before you left to go? No, we uh, we got engaged before we left for Virginia, and then after our first year of teaching, we got married. Yeah, so maybe that's kind of made you feel like you know what? I'm happy. I'm in love. Uh, you know, everything seems. Yeah, good. I mean, I can tell you, there's some things that I've learned having. Now having three kids, um, kids cause stress. And stress, <laughs> stress uh, is, believe me, I yeah, have three. It's stress true. is uh, definitely a um, yeah. It, it doesn't, kind of it, like amplifies. It absolutely amplifies. It. So and, you, you know, you and your wife, you come back here. You're you're both teachers, and you start having a family. And were you still taking the same medication? Yeah, so I was taking the same medicine. But then what happened was one of the things that I. You know, I had this brilliant plan after I started teaching was that I was going to become a school principal one day. So I started as a school principal at the ripe age of 31. Wow. uh, Which I don't suggest that anyone does. (laughs) That's Um, a big responsibility. Yeah. And not only was I uh, starting, I never even was an assistant principal because I went from a director level position and they basically said it would be a lateral move to be a head principal, so I never even went through the whole assistant principal So maybe you weren't prepared for the yeah, big leap? I mean... A big like, school, like elementary school? It, it wasn't. A, it was a K through 8. Okay. Um, we had 415 students, but it was tough. Part of, you know, what I haven't shared is it was in a high-needs district. My, you know, stu- my students were from some pretty rough areas of Pittsburgh. I mean, I had a lot of kids that would have otherwise been in Pittsburgh public schools. I had a lot of kids that would have otherwise been in the Stowe Rock School District. Um, just a very underserved population. And I had some great teachers working with me, but I mean, I, I could tell some stories where it's just like, you wouldn't believe this stuff. But so, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to be successful in it. Uh, but at the same time, already in my second year, I was now starting to have these suicidal thoughts again. Oh, no. And that was to me where I was immediately, I was aware something was wrong, something yeah. was different, the stress was too much. So fortunately, every Thanksgiving, we we gave the students off the entire week. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were always parent-teacher conferences. So I remember being up at the school on a Sunday night. I was there with my assistant principal. We were printing out report cards to have ready for the teachers so they can, you know, talk through them at the conferences. Right. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not going to be here this week. And she was like, oh, what's, what's wrong? And I said, you know, I know we've talked about this a little bit before that I, you know, at that point it was just bipolar. I said, but that I deal with mental illness. I said, it's, it's getting the best of me right now. And honestly, I said, I need to go to the hospital. So I left. 
See, now that's good, Matt. Like you already knew, you diagnosed yourself. You knew that you're getting those thoughts again. I'm removing myself from this situation because I don't want to not be there yeah, for everybody. Yeah. I'm going to take care of my myself. Yeah. I like Yeah, that. so I mean, I went in. Um, unfortunately, it had happened a couple times. So I was principal for five years before I just, you know, kind of threw in the towel, if you will. I resigned. I was just done. But twice in those five years, that week of Thanksgiving, I was in the hospital and then there were some, yeah, at one point, I think when I had left the hospital was when I went on this one medicine that ended up just not being right for me. And unfortunately, I had to go back to the hospital and go back inpatient. Oh, no. Um, just because so they could wean me out. It, it was bad. I mean, it was immediately right. like something bad's going to happen. Because nobody knows exactly what, you know, with your chemicals, like yeah, with your head, yeah. which pill works for everyone. No, and I mean, that's good I way to put it. I think we're still guessing. Like, yeah, I like no, it is. It's a chem- I mean, what they talk about a lot with, you know, mental illness is it's a chemical imbalance. Right. And, you know, you have all these smart people out there making these medications. Um, but, yeah, you just don't. You, you don't. You don't know. And that's why a lot of people, I think, struggle. I'll be honest. When I started taking medicine, I was very upset about it. Um, and, therefore, I became sarcastic. I'd be like, oh, let me go take my happy pills. Right. So that I can go about having a functional day like everybody else does. Now, um, who would you say that to? Uh, my doctors, my mom, my parents. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those things where I was just, I don't know, I was kind of still dealing with the fact that I'm going to have to take a pill to, again, function normally. But right. then my mom, I mean, my mom has always been there for me. And she, geez, she still works. She's almost nearing 70 at this point and she still works and she's a nurse when i was born i actually almost didn't make it i have scars on both uh, sides of my chest because my lungs weren't fully developed oh my gosh Um, so i've lived with asthma most of my life she you know at one point she was like matt it's no different than your albuterol inhaler if you don't take it you're gonna have an asthma attack you're not gonna be able to breathe you're gonna end up in the hospital yeah she said, these pills, if you don't take them, you're going to have these thoughts go on in your head that exactly. you don't want there, and you're going to end up in the hospital. And since then, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. I mean, there's right. doctors, there's pharmacists out there, there's people that are creating these medications. And she knows. Um, it's good to have yeah. her mom be a oh, nurse because yeah. you know, like, she's not going to let you take any medicine or anything that's going to. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, and now it's my wife. You know, there's some times where I'll just go to our normal doctor appointment and they'll talk about a certain antibiotic and then I'll mention it to my wife and she was like well remember how you reacted that one time and I'm like oh yeah because oh good she's yeah I mean she's she stays aware for all of the things that I sometimes let slip my mind because there's so many things that I've been on and off and wonderful that she keeps track yeah I, I I would say I would imagine there's a lot of people that just have this distrust of medicine yeah when you have this you know commercial and it ends you know, a lot of times you're gonna remember what the last thing the commercial told you, and it says, you know, suicidal thoughts could be accompanying this medication. Then people right. are like, well, why the hell would I want to do I that? Yeah, why are you want to take something so, when you're already having this? And having been a principal and then a teacher for as long as I have, there's a lot of parents that they're just like, I don't want my kid to become a zombie. Right. And I said, I, I get it, but you're not even giving it a chance. Right. And exactly. I, I have seen some kids become very lethargic on medication, and that's when I tell them, like, try something you have else. to try something else. Yes. You, can't, you can't just, 
Um, oh, but some it. people that's are so one. opposed to it that probably why we have as many people with mental as there are with mental illness yes. that aren't getting treatment is because there's this, you know, there's this stigma. Uh, stigma. People Stig- think, absolutely. Yeah. There, it's not like, I, I think if I, if we were in a room of 20 people, I think that probably more than half of those people would be have a mental illness some some sort of like anxiety yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. like you said OCD a lot of people don't talk about OCD or bipolar like you don't go to your doctors and they don't bring it up yeah which really yeah. doesn't I think sometimes too like with my kids getting older they're adults now when they go into the doctor's office maybe they're not telling them everything or they're not sharing and, and I think that's the hardest thing is to just be honest with people and that's where be honest this point, with you yeah be honest with you I mean like how you're feeling um, I know we brought this up before but this seems like a good time to talk about like school shootings Um, I'm not legally allowed to own a gun. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things I feel about that. But the reality is it is what it is. And I have to face the facts. And So the thoughts you were having about the school shootings, you mean that you're nervous that it could happen to your schools? Happen to my schools or happen because of thoughts that I... Because a lot of times you learn, like, oh, this person has a mental illness or right. had a mental illness because ultimately most of the time they they're end up dead. They're not getting diagnosed. But, yeah, and then it's like, well, if they're not – like, what's going to make me different than that person? Well, the reality is there's a lot of things that make me different. Right. Um, I'm willing to talk about it. I'm willing to say, yeah, just because a thought comes inside my head, though, doesn't mean it's going to be my reality. Right. But when you talk about that, yeah, it's – you know, how many people, and I had a doctor for, this was a psychologist of mine for um, probably a good three years, and I would tell him everything. I mean, I would tell him everything, because I'm like, look, this guy, he, he was out in the, um, like, St. Clair, Bethel area, and I'm like, I'm not going to see this guy out on the streets. We're not going to, like, interact. Like, he, I need to know that he knows everything so that he can help me to the best of his ability. It was helpful for me because the more I talk about thoughts that go on... Right. It's better it's, to talk it's about. It's out of my system. It's like, oh, just because I have that thought doesn't doesn't mean I'm going to act on it or this right. or that. Uh, but the reality was he never really gave me any input back. He just kind of let me talk and talk and talk. And then I realized one day, like, this is a completely one-sided relationship, and I'm getting nothing from him, and he's probably making a fortune off of right. my insurance policy. For, exactly. Uh, so I found, a, you know, I, I've tried somebody actually local here in town. Wasn't a good fit at all. you got to find a you do. right you do. therapist. I've tried because whenever I had left this one doctor, it was a male doctor. I thought, maybe I need to talk to a female doctor. Right. It was very. It was just just wasn't a good fit. I you you know, with, if you don't vibe with someone, yeah, and that and that's another reason though. Like it's like you're gonna you have to learn if you don't vibe with a medication. You have to also learn if you don't vibe with a person. person. Right. So I mean, the guy that I literally spoke to first thing this morning. I mean, I've been seeing him for probably about two and a half years now. Two of which have been just through virtual calls. But he's fantastic yeah. because he tells me things that I don't want to hear. You know, again, when I when I start to go down this rabbit hole of well, like this could be me, this could be me. I could do something awful, and he he makes me paint the picture of okay, like just because we're having these thoughts, so these are as they've told me for years now, these are called intrusive thoughts. Intrusive it doesn't thoughts. mean you're going to do right. it. Like 
I know you're not the only one out there. I'm, yeah. You know, with this podcast um, episode that we're doing right now, I think this is going to help other people that feel like, wait a minute, maybe I'm bipolar or maybe I have like this. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I mean, the news doesn't make it any oh. better because with obsessive thoughts when all you see on the news anymore is shootings, it, <sighs> like, it makes it become more like, I, yeah. oh, this is going to happen here. Right. You now know where you're going to be. If something, you never yeah. think it's going to happen to you or where you're at, but... Yeah, it's driving. Do you think that there are? I mean, I don't. We neither of us could really answer this because we're not doctors. But do you think that we're missing the boat with some of these, with their families not seeing that their kids have problems or that have troubles that need? Yeah, to I mean, I think because it has. Most, I, I mean, I, uh, if I look at it this way, I made what I consider my one regrettable decision in life was when I tried to take my life. I think what happens, though, is, you know, you have people that have thoughts and thoughts and thoughts, and they allow their thoughts to become their reality, where it's, okay, I'm having all these bad thoughts. Well, maybe I am a bad person, and then they go do something. And like I said, a lot of times I feel that knowing the other side of it, why people end up taking their life, and then people are like, oh, that was a coward way out or this or that. Or, right. No, it was their only solution to stop thinking Obsessing a certain about, way about yeah. something they knew to be, you know, negative or wrong or whatever. Right, because it's when somebody says about suicide, they always like, well, you know, you don't understand how you're going to hurt all the people that are alive. Yeah. But people that, you know, have those thoughts, I mean, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking yeah. about how do I get my No, how, how do I, have, like, I'm this bad person. I'm going to go hurt somebody or, or do this or that. And I, it to be possible, so I'm going to take my life. And, and I can imagine that's how a lot of people get to. And it's just, yeah. I'm so sorry it, you went through and that. And that's why, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. And like I said, I regret it, but I also believe that I was saved. Yes. For the Tell reason us. of being able to talk about right, this stuff you're able today. to talk about it because a lot of people would not be sitting here with me talking about it because they feel embarrassed or they don't want people to know they're ashamed. But it's reality. Yeah, it's real I, life. And I think again, why I'm willing to talk about it is for others to realize, like, okay, you're, I mean, this okay. guy is like he's a teacher. He's won awards as a teacher. He's got a beautiful family. Yeah, and like from the outside looking in, he has it all together well on the inside looking out you know many times my life has been a shit show but But there's somebody else out there that feels yeah but there's and that's the thing all i'm trying to do is spark conversations yeah where people can say okay i need to be able to talk about this because then i you know will never consider hurting myself or yeah i mean it's it's amazing just Having been like talking where you for are now, yeah, I mean, yeah. I have people reach. Out. I, I've had literally, I have friends here in the township. They're helping you. They're, they're doctors. No, I'm, right. I'm trying to think what they deal with, like podiatrists. They're podiatrists. They've reached out to me before, saying like, I have a patient whose spouse is in need of something, and I've given them numbers. I mean, part of my crisis plan, I have the number for Resolve in my phone which is interesting just because it's a number that I've had to call before as a school principal to make sure my students were getting help. And now it's something that it's just like, if I ever need somebody and it's not necessarily, you know what to do, you know where to go, you know, a nine on one call, then yeah, I know where to go. So, so what would you say to someone who's listening right now, Matt, and they're having these thoughts? I mean, what should they do first? I'd say first and foremost, just 
be forgiving of yourself because, again, every thought that goes on inside your head, it's not necessarily something that you put there. So, I mean, exposure to media these days, everything is just Social violence. Media, yeah. Viol- I mean, well, I'm talking just the news. It's right. violence, how many people got killed and where, how. And, and the reality is it's not, it's not helpful. I think, honestly, our real epidemic, pandemic, whatever, of people killing other people, it gets sensationalized. And then it's like, no wonder other people go do it because... They're going to get on the news or they're going to do this or they're going to, you know, and I think like that's something that's, yeah, it really is. But that's just people say, well, that's what we're reporting because it's the news. Well, I mean, there's so much good that goes in the world that never gets mentioned on the news. uh, Yes. I'm, I'm curious how, you know, I know other countries are said to not have these mass shootings and everything, but I'm guaranteeing there's violence that goes on. And, they're not talking about but it. But they're, they're probably not focusing on, oh, oh, we have breaking news at, you know, yeah. the middle of the afternoon just because we want to be the first ones to tell you that. Now, tell us what you do now, because you we were talking about this before off the mic, that you go to places and you talk about your story and you try to help other people. Yes. <laughs> When I left being a principal, I uh, I resigned and I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I needed a break from that, so I left education. I got into financial world. I was doing life insurance, and then I was doing employee benefits. And one of the businesses that I had on my book was NAMI. So NAMI is the national. How do you spell that? N A M I. So it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and they have Keystone Chapter, which is basically the Pittsburgh chapter. It's out on McKnight Road. So I went there one day to talk to them about their benefits and everything, and they proceeded to tell me how you know, everyone that works there is either somebody that deals with mental illness themselves or has a family member or close friend that does. Okay. And I mean, at that point, just in hearing that, I was like, oh, well, that, that means like, I could work here because I have two <laughs> mental illnesses. Yeah, you're like, like, oh, hey, oh me tell up. us about it. So yeah. I started talking to them, and I said, yeah, I'm always looking for a platform to talk. Um, and that's when they told me about this. It's called In Our Own Voice series. They have a lot of different advocacy. Um, they have you know family support systems. But this one specifically gives me a chance as uh, someone who lives with mental illness to talk and tell my story. So right. uh, a lot of times it is high schoolers that are hearing my story a lot of health classes I was just gonna ask you that yeah a lot of health and phys ed classes they'll partner with NAMI and then probably about six 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 to eight of us locally that give the talk so there's a few different people that I've been partnered with before and I've heard their story but have you hit like a lot of schools or do we um, need to get this we definitely need to get it going and and I mean they're they're always working on it yeah we definitely yeah I mean I've I've talked to students in some of the Pittsburgh schools talked to kids at Mount Lebanon I know there's been at least some other schools fortunately since I work in a school you know whenever I came on board and started working where I do I told my principal like, hey, this is something I do. I fully expect to be able to just give this talk in front of all of our students, and he allowed it. So my whole high school, 9th through 12th grade class, has heard my story. Right. And it's great because I've had kids come up to me privately and say, like, I, I thank you so much for sharing that. Like, exactly. I myself talk to a therapist or I myself take medications. Right. Or When they hear somebody that firsthand has gone through this. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like your case might be different from somebody else's, but you're being 
real about it and you're telling your story, that helps so many people because they realize they're not yeah. the only ones out there. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that kind of baffles me to this day, and I don't really hold it against them because I think they were doing their best with but my parents never really disclosed to me until after all of this kind of came up that uh, mental illness runs in my family. So my Maybe gran- they weren't diagnosed back then, you know. Yeah, well, it, interestingly, my grandfather, he was, a, he was an anesthesiologist, so he was a doctor. And when he died, my mom was unfortunately had the task of cleaning out his stuff from his condominium, and uh, she came across antidepressants that were prescribed to her. And she was kind of baffled, only to then learn that her dad probably didn't feel comfortable being on antidepressants in his role. Right. Um, so he wrote the prescription to her. She said, you know, she's never, fortunately for her, never had to deal with mental health personally. Right. Um, so that's how she learned that her, her own father was, you know, dealing with mental illness. So do you think it could be hereditary? It definitely is. I mean, my uncle, so she has, she had two brothers and, um, you know, unfortunately my uncle passed away, but he was actually, I believe, diagnosed as schizophrenic, which is pretty, pretty serious. And he ended up in and out of the legal system. He was in and out of jail. He just, uh, lots of bad decisions, but again, like, Right, you just need to know why. Why um, am I going through this? So there's uh, so many different... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very... My story that I share with other high schoolers, because there's already been potential for some of my daughter's peers to hear my story, I have told my oldest, my... Yeah, I've told my oldest my story so that she's well aware of um, not only, you know, what somebody might tell her one day, like, oh, I heard your dad talk, but yeah, I want She's her to. Probably so proud of you. I, now, it takes it takes <laughs> yeah, a person to really. I can hope so. Yeah, um, it, it's just, and then I tell my even my seven year old son. I tell him on a different level. You know, he he's asked me before. He's a very inquisitive inquisitive child. Oh, he's yeah. asked me, "Why do you take all this medicine?" And I'm yeah. not going to be like, "Well, this, this, or this," because right. then you just worry about that. And I said, "Buddy." My brain doesn't always work like everyone else's does. Yes, so I, I have, like that. I have to take some medicine for it. Good for you. For so, yeah, and, I mean, and we'll talk about it because he knew, like, for instance, we went for a walk today, walked the dog after I was done with my appointment. He uh, he was asking me, oh, how was your how was your doctor's appointment? And I was like, oh, we talked about some things. And, and he, you know, it's interesting because he's only seven, but I'm unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not quite sure. Seeing some things with him that remind me a lot of, happened when this started with me right um he worries a lot about things um and so we had a talk walking around the neighborhood today i was like buddy he was talking to me about things that i'm worrying about that Mm -hmm. when we break it down i really shouldn't be worrying about and i'm like looking at him like doesn't that sound familiar and i know um, see that's something so yeah i I think that's another reason i talk is i want people to be able to yeah like, then you find these things out. Like when you were talking about OCD, I'm thinking, ooh, I think I have a form of OCD. It might not be the same. Yeah, but yeah. I, I do see myself as like having anxiety or thinking about something before I go to bed because I'm 
obsessing about stuff. Yeah, things, yeah. And you worry. The yeah, worry as parents is even worse because you worry yeah. so much about your children. And that's the truth as well is everyone's different with, you know, I went to an OCD support group for a little while and they were talking about this exposure therapy how, I mean, there was a gentleman there. He wore gloves to every meeting. When he went to the bathroom, he had to take a break and go use the restroom. He wouldn't be back for like 40 minutes. I'm like, what is going on? They said, well, every time he washes his hand, if he doesn't like have his gloves back on before he touches something, he goes through the whole process over and over and over. Yeah, that, so that's his thing. So, I mean, yeah. we're there for an hour, and he spends two-thirds of it. And Make I'm just sure. like, that's it. But they're, they're talking about this. There's all forms of different therapies exactly. and everything. And they're saying this one, which is like basically you have to be exposed to the things that you're concerned about. And I said, well, like in my case, it's just not that simple because I can't go stand on the side of a bridge and be like, Okay, this is a thought I have all the time of jumping off the bridge because yeah. if I end up on the bridge, it might not end well. So it was interesting because this woman who definitely was well aware of her OCD, well aware of OCD and had probably studied it quite a bit, wasn't really sure of an answer for me. And and that's there, the there thing. There might like not every, be an answer. And then that's the truth. That's definitely the truth. I mean, for me right now, it's it's the medication. And realizing that if something stops working, like I have to be willing to try something else. Right. Uh, fortunately, I mean the medication that I've been on now since 2019. Um, it was a fairly new medication when I went on it, and it's worked wonders for me. Right. So that was something that. Worked. But yeah, at the same time, I mean, one stopped working after 20 years. It wasn't like they they would always. You get one used thing, to a certain. Yeah, they did blood work for like it. Like an antibiotic, was, sometimes yeah, they don't work after. Yeah. And they were like, oh, are you still taking your medicine? I said, I take it every day, twice a day. And they're right. like, it's not in your system anymore. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. That's I mean, tough it's, to think about. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it just as normal as I always say it's it's great to see when, you know, you have like a sports team or celebrity and they go visit these cancer patients on a cancer wing and it's right. this big to do and th- that will make the news. Right. Um, but no one visits you when you're on a mental health wing. It's right. just different. But it's, there are, there has been celebrities that came. Yeah. Oh, that, it's happened more and more and I definitely give them credit for that. But and they should because they should say, you know, I'm just an everyday person. Too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I I have thoughts and I go through yeah. depression anxiety. Yeah. So Matt, let's wrap it up. Tell sure. us, tell the listeners what exactly can you say to them if they're going through this? There, there is help out there. Yeah. I mean, I'd say definitely you're not alone. Be patient because unfortunately, especially with COVID, there's a lot of younger folks, especially dealing with a lot right now. And mm-hmm. it seems like not as many people are maybe going into psychiatry and psychology. So there, there's a wait, but yeah, um, there's a need. Yeah, there's definitely a need. Just be patient because the help is there. I was impatient and, you know, almost cost myself my life, but be patient and, uh, you know, find somebody that you're willing to talk to as well, because that makes a world of a difference. Right. Um, Support groups. Yeah, and, 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 and there's people. a lot of, yeah, I mean, NAMI has a lot of resources. Like, I'm just one small sliver of what they Could do. they get in contact with NAMI? Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. Uh, what is the website? Um, yeah, if they just look up NAMI Keystone PA. Okay, they'll be able to get on. They'll be able to, yeah, I mean, there's a staff there, probably like 16 to 20 people. 
And everyone kind of, ha- I mean, the woman I work with, she's like the director of educational programming. So that's why a lot of times when you end up in schools, they'll contact her. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's a, a as far as I'm aware, there's a, there's groups even for people that live with somebody with a mental illness. Because, right, because you don't know how to deal yeah, with it. I mean, it. I'll be honest, a lot of times my wife, yeah, I don't know how she, she does it. Yeah, absolutely. She loves you. That's yeah, I mean, but it's like, you know, these times when I went to the hospital, I'm like, all right. I'm going to be in the hospital. I mean, you can't have a phone on you. Like, there's only certain visiting hours. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, you're going to take care of the three kids while I'm away for a week. But, you know, when Um, she knows that you're aware. Yeah, and, I mean, this was was a discussion that we've had multiple times. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, we met going to classes together at Penn State and uh, for education. And it was something that we definitely talked about before we ever got engaged. And then when we decided to have kids, it was like, hey, we need to decide, are we going to have kids? Because, like, they very well could end up with something someday. And, yeah, I mean, but that's why I've been very open and honest with with my kids as well as so that they're aware and they're not just. Because if they have those thoughts. Yeah, I don't want it to just be like, oh, this came out of nowhere and I made this, got this, you know, decision and. Right, and some people don't want to talk. Like, I, I talked to this other woman uh, a couple episodes ago. We talked about postpartum. So, you know, that gets in your head, yeah, and you don't yeah. realize it. And so people are not talking about these things because they don't know if they should talk about it or they don't want people to know that they've had it. But with your story, Matt, I just I so appreciate you coming on and talking about something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. Yeah, it's no, I, I mean, that's where I feel like at this point it's like something that because I was given a second chance of life, like I owe it to people in a sense that like I don't want people to make the decision that I made. I don't want people to think that's the only way you can feel because I feel like at this point I can do whatever I want in my life, but this is going to be a part of it because I feel like the more you talk about it, the better it's healing you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every time I get done with, you know, one of the NAMI talks, I'm like, that just, not that I'm going to stop taking my medicine because right. I know that's not how it works. Um, but it feels that, like... That like cleanses your soul. Oh, absolutely. Like you're able to talk to people yeah. about something that's so like, oh, nobody wants to talk about suicide. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk yeah. about having any medication or doing anything. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, and like, I, I, I feel I mean, like you're going to touch somebody. Yeah. I try to advocate, you know, I still to this day, anytime I hear somebody say somebody committed suicide, I said they died by suicide like committing it means you broke a law and technically i you know if i attempted to take my life no one ever came after me pressing charges so it's just verbiage and things like that where you know you're you're just again you're you're putting that person in a situation where they did something wrong and again that might have been the only solution they, they knew possibly that. knew of because um, i think at all the questions with suicide i think people are always like why? Yeah. Look at they yeah. had a beautiful life, and they yeah. had this. People want to know why. Yeah. And it's some like you said. Sometimes it's just in your head constantly. You can't get rid of it. But finding help like you did, yeah. because nobody deserves to die. Yeah. Everybody Absolutely. deserves a second chance and to live your life. I mean, look at how happy you are now. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful wife, beautiful kids, and you're you know you're helping other people by talking about it. Yeah, I'm trying. Thank trying you. to do my part. Oh, thank you. Thanks if, if there's for anything me else on. you'd no, like to is, say? Um, no, no. I mean, yeah. If anyone wanted 
to reach me through you privately. Like, I'll, I'm always yeah. willing to talk to whoever. Okay. Message um, me, and I'll get you in contact with Matt, and he can talk yeah, to you and help you. Yeah, so for make sure. sure to do that, because we're here to help. Yeah. That's what it's all about in life, you know. Just talk about things that you don't necessarily think that somebody else wants to hear, but people want to hear it. They want to know what's going on. I appreciate you, Matt. You bet. No, I'm glad uh, we got connected to one another. And, yes, this know. is people helping people. Absolutely. Spill with me, Jenny D. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me with Spill with Me, Jenny D. You can be anonymous, planning on having guest speakers, or anyone who wants to share their life experiences on the topic we covered that week. I'm going to post all that on my Facebook and website, so you will see what I'll be talking about that week. So give me a call. I can pre-record and put you on my, my episode that day. I stress this. I personally feel to heal yourself is to talk about it. And if we can help each other instead of keeping it bottled up and just release it, I think that it's going to help all of us. And let's have a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Oh, I'm so excited. This is still with me, Jenny D.